High FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Israel is a land of diverse cultures, religions, foods, music and people. Join Benji Shulman for the next hour as he explores the devout and divine, the off the wall and outrageous and everything in between. Right here on 101.9 High FM. You're listening to 101.9 High FM. I'm Benji Shulman. This is the first new Blue Review show of 2021. Welcome to it. It is a little bit rainy out there. I don't know what is going on. Uh, we must be having some kind of cut or blow or uh, some kind of, of weather disturbance. But uh, that doesn't matter because it doesn't affect uh, you listening to the show. So I hope that if you had a great holiday, I hope you did have a great holiday, and that uh, if you're back uh, and getting to work and doing what you need to be doing, that you're safe out there, uh, that you're keeping well, and that you are ready for a cracker first show. Uh, of 2021. Uh, around about 20 to 10, quarter to 10, we're going to be speaking uh, to um, dear South Africa, Rob Hutchinson. He is uh, our resident parliamentary engagement officer. Uh, he talks to us about what is going on in parliament. And we're going to be talking about energy. Uh, I'm sure that uh, during the holidays, you would have been moaning about ESCOM. Well, there's a new bill to talk about how much nuclear power we have on the grid so i'm going to be chatting about that and how you can comment and make a difference in terms of how parliament governs so that's uh, at about uh, 22 quarter to uh, 10 uh, in our israel bite for this week well can you believe it uh we're going to be talking about aliens yeah uh over the weekend uh one of our newspapers one that's normally very hostile to israel interestingly uh had a whole article about whether uh, Israel, the Israeli government has been talking to aliens. So we're going to be finding out about that and, uh, you know, what is it that uh, you need to be doing if the little green men have been speaking to the people with the blue and white flag. But before that, uh, I'm happy to say we are going to be having a chat uh, with David Hazoni. He is uh, executive, uh, um, excuse me, he is We'll get exactly his title. I seem to have misread it here. Uh, but he is uh, a part of the Wicked Sun Press, uh, which is a um, uh, which is an imprint uh, that taught as Jewish books and, um, and and talks about different issues to do with uh, Jewish life, and uh, has some very very prolific, prolific authors that they are uh, going to be covering. And uh, David is a well known. Uh, writer and translator and book publisher, and uh, he is going to be chatting to us all about these things. Might as well get um, get um, get twenty twenty one off to a good start. So that is what's coming up in the show for this week. Looking forward to it as ever. If you want to be part of the show, you can uh, telegram us on oh six one eight nine five one zero one nine or send us an SMS three four five one nine. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back just after this. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. This is the new Blue Review with Benji Shulman. 101.9 Hi FM, I am Benji Shulman. This is the new Blue Review. And I'm happy to say that we have online David Frazzoni. He is an editor, author, and translator, and independent editor for Wicked Sons Books. And he's going to be talking to us 
a little bit about uh, his life and uh, the work that he's done. David has uh, been involved with all sorts of Jewish organizations, whether it's the Israeli Innovation Fund, uh, he was the founding editor of the Tower magazine and uh, has written a number of books himself, including a very interesting uh, one on uh, the Ten Commandments. So uh, uh, he's also an expert in the Jewish philosopher Eliezer Berkowitz, so a man who really knows uh, his Jewish history and his Jewish philosophy. David, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for being with us on Chai FM. Thank you so much, Benji, for having me. Glad to be here. And uh, one important thing that I, I, I neglected to uh, comment, David, is that you actually came and have spoken in South Africa before. That's right. I uh, was thrilled to take part in Limud, South Africa in 2012. Uh, I spent time in Johannesburg, in Durban, and in, uh, and, uh, and, and of course, in, um, I'm sorry, I'm drawing a blank. <laughs> In Cape Town, of course, that was the, that was the, that was my favorite part. I got to go up on Table Mountain and I got to go see the penguins. Yeah, that's, that's the most important thing. You can't come to the Africa and not have seen the penguins. I'm sorry. Uh, we were in Stellenbosch and we, and we, we, we got actually got to have some of the wine there too. It was wonderful. It was really lovely. I, I enjoyed South Africa tremendously. The thing I enjoyed most about South Africa, however, was that, um, it was that it was it was winter in South Africa and it was summer in Israel and we were having a brutal summer and when I got off the plane in South Africa um, and it was winter my I was so hot from the hot summer I had just left that it took me three days before I agreed to put on a coat because I was just trying to expel all of the excess heat from the Israeli summer that I had brought with me. Um, yeah, our winters here, right? He's very, very mild, so nothing, yeah. nothing to, uh, nothing to, to scary. Now, David, you you recently taken over at uh, at Wicked Sun Press, which we're going to talk about in a minute. But what struck me is that the first time I ever read something from you was uh, with a compilation of essays called New Essays uh, on on Zionism. Uh, which was a book that you produced and while you were at uh, uh, Shalem uh, University in Israel, which we can talk about. Uh, but since then, you've done a lot of uh, Jewish and Israeli NGO work, and now you're sort of back in the, in the, in the publishing realm. Does it feel like you've done a bit of a full circle? Well, yes and no. The, the, the common thread among all the different things I've done, and you, and you cited many of them, is that uh, I believe that on, on a very deep level, the most important thing that I can be contributing and that we can be working on is the development of, of new Jewish and Zionist ideas. Um, ultimately, the things we do reflect the things we believe and the things we think. And ideas are developed through writing, through books, through essays. So, so although I have done work, uh, in, in nonprofit administration as well, um, the, the act of writing, the act of thinking, and the act of, of expressing new ideas and relating to our world in new ways, this has been a common thread. So the, the, the magazines that I worked in, whether it was Azure or The Tower, were, were what we call in the industry long-form writing, meaning essays. Um, and so, so yeah, I, I, I feel like my niche has been the, that, that point where you leave academia, you think about ideas that are actually important, uh, and you find ways to express and deliver them and popularize them among our people. So, uh, so Wicked Sun Press is really just an extension of that same idea. Now let's talk a little bit about long form writing for a minute. You know, uh, back in the day when people uh, didn't have television or, or social media or, or anything like that, 
uh, this really was an important part of, of, as you say, driving ideas and conversation. I mean, do people have the relevant uh, bandwidth and, and concentration span for, for long-form writing anymore? Well, uh, most people don't. The question is, who influences them? It turns out that a lot of the people who do have the patience are the same people are the, as the ones who are writing the newspaper columns, the bloggers, the the uh, even even the long Twitter threads, right? Um, ideas come from somewhere, and very often the people who are most influential are those who are reading books and who are reading essays. So it might not have the same kind of popularity as uh, as a tweet from uh, Nicki Minaj or uh, or um, or Cardi B, but it uh, but in the long run it has a tremendous tremendous impact on ideas and on the way, ways people think. It's not a coincidence that a lot of the political fights, and I'm talking largely about the United States, but also around the world, if you trace them back, they come from ideas that originated either in academia or in, uh, or in, in long form writing, whether it's essays or books. So I actually think the, the, the impact of books and essays is still enormous, far beyond what we think. Um, and often when something new appears in our world, people believe something and it came out of nowhere. It didn't come out of nowhere. It came out of people doing more, more serious writing and other people reading them and influencing others. So, yeah, I think it's extremely important today. Now, uh, Wicked Sun Press is a relatively new enterprise um, and quite a, quite a time to be also printing of books and 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 doing this sort of writing has it been a very difficult uh a difficult process given given the pandemic and um how how has it affected uh, your ability to actually publish writing is it easier is it uh, a hot or with with new tools or is or are people kind of a little bit overwhelmed to be able to write in the middle of this sort of thing well, I mean, it really depends on, on people. When, when the pandemic hit, I reached out to all of my writer friends and I said to them, now that you're, uh, now that you're stuck at home and can't be running around to meetings, you might as well get that book written. Um, but, uh, um, the, 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 the publishing industry, uh, has been going through a tremendous transformation over the last 10 years and not necessarily in a good way. Basically, ever since the 2008 financial crisis, um, Pub, uh, mainstream publishers based in New York uh, in, for the English language are under tremendous pressure to uh, and 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 are taking fewer and fewer risks. You can say they've gone through something similar to what we've seen in the music industry and in the film industry. Um, it costs so much to publish a book that they that they don't want to take any risks. So about a year ago, I met up with Adam Bellow, who is a really huge figure in the publishing industry. He's the son of the Nobel Prize winning author Saul Bellow, but he's made a huge career on his own uh, working for, for the major commercial publisher, publishers. And he said to me, listen, I want to try working with a different business model. It's based more on a profit sharing model. Um, it'll cost us much less to produce books that way. And I want to create an imprint that focuses on the Jewish reader. And this is extremely important because, you know, there used to be a very committed, dedicated, widespread Jewish book buying and reading audience. And part of the problem is that we haven't been able to publish a lot of really good, interesting Jewish books for, you know, outside of the Orthodox world. Um, and so uh, he asked me because I've, because of these non long form, uh, long 
long form uh, publications that I've edited, it happens that I know a great many authors, especially those based in Israel. I'm based in Jerusalem. Adam is based in New York. Um, and uh, he asked me to help him to to get Jewish books from Israeli authors, and not just Jewish books. There are Israeli authors who are qualified to write on many on a, on a world of different subjects. Um, so so yeah, so we've been working together. Uh, the list you've seen includes you know Shmuley Boteach and and uh, Michael Oren and uh, and a hugely important book by Yossi Shane called The Israeli Century, which will be coming out, um, which really rereads all of Jewish history leading up to the point where where Israel is a successful, powerful country that can really uh, uh, set the tone for Jewish life in the world. Um, Chen Mazig, who is, uh, if you're on Twitter or if you're in the sort of pro-Israel debate, you probably have heard the name. He's a young uh, LGBT Mizrahi uh, uh, Jew, Israeli, who is writing a, a, a personal memoir called The Jew of Color. Um, about his Mizrahi identity and, the, and its importance in our understanding, not just Israel, because you can't understand Israel if you don't understand Mizrahi identity, but also Jewish identity. We're talking today to da- David Chazoni. He is from Wicked Sun Press. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back just after this. Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. 101.9 Chai FM, I'm Benji Shulman on the New Blue Review, talking to David Chazoni. Uh, he is from Wicked Sun Press. Now, David, I, I'm just really interested. One of the things that you, you spoke about was a, a slightly different model uh, for book publishing, which I do think is crucial because, as you say, I think uh, the Jewish community has so much to offer from a, a, a book perspective, but but books are difficult to write. So I'm interested in how you guys are approaching this differently from, from traditional publishing. So um, it costs about, a, uh, normally for a major commercial publisher, it costs about $150,000 to publish a book. Um, uh, that's a lot of money. And it means you have to sell an awful lot of books to to cover it. Um, without going into to our own costs, what I will say is that that we don't give authors big advances. We don't, uh, we, we don't, uh, we cut down on a huge amount of the, 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 the fixed costs involved in publishing. We do provide the same services that a commercial publisher does, which begins with, uh, uh, our editorial involvement, the tremendous experience that, uh, Adam and his partner David Bernstein bring, um, and the experience that I bring in terms of helping an author develop the book and frame it in such a way that it'll be commercially viable. And we also offer offer authors the same uh, graphics and production, and and we do uh, book distribution as well through through Simon and Schuster through uh, our our publishing company that we work with is called Post Hill Press, which is also based in New York. What it all adds up to is we found a way to strip down the costs so much that it allows us to say yes to a lot of really excellent books that mainstream publishers are forced to say no to because of their business model. Um, it sounds a little bit esoteric and what we call uh, inside baseball, perhaps, but um, but it's, uh, uh, if you don't mind the, the Americanism, but um, but it's uh, what it allows us to do is take risks. And you can't change a conversation if you won't take risks. That's the bottom line. Okay, people have to have be encouraged to say new things, to say them well, to say them deeply, 
in a way that can convince an audience, uh, uh, a book reading audience, a wider audience. And you can't do that. You know, I, I recently heard an interview with Stevie Nicks, you know, from uh, Fleetwood Mac. And she said, um, she said that if Fleetwood Mac were to try to, to, to break out in the music world today, they wouldn't be able to because none of the music labels anymore. And the same thing has happened to books. So we're, we're trying to cut against this. Now you asked about the pandemic and the truth is that the pandemic has been especially, has been especially difficult, um, because of the, the, the fact that bookstores have largely collapsed and that a huge percentage of books are delivered by Amazon and are bought through Amazon. Um, it turned out that when the pandemic hit, Amazon slowed, slowed down the delivery of books because they had so many other more essential items to be delivering. And that really hurt the publishing industry as well. So we're here, but because of, because of our model, we actually don't, uh, we don't lose that much in a situation like that. And we, we have a, a much more robust, stronger, uh, way of surviving, um, that will ultimately, I believe, allow us to, to survive where others may not. And you're going to see a now major. You mentioned, you, you, Go ahead. you mentioned, uh, Saul and, and Adam Bello. And I wanted to sort of talk to you a little bit about that because I think, that both of them have undergone a kind of intellectual journey that is talking, I guess, in America and a little bit in Israel uh, at the moment. You know, uh, Saul started out much more on the left, and then he eventually became uh, a sort of um, a more centrist figure in in, in, in literature. Uh, Adam is, is is well known for uh, his his work on with with conservative writers uh, in the states. Uh, how do you guys uh, see yourselves within that? Because it's been such, become such a such a hot, hostile and partisan discussion, particularly in the United States. Well, um, <laughs> I can't speak for the uh, for the the for Adam and his own particular uh, personal approach. What I can tell you is that um, is that for Jews there is a crucial need for new thoughts, new ideas new stories. Um, you are absolutely right that there's a tremendous turmoil in the United States right now. And that, uh, uh, and as the, the leading Jewish community of the diaspora, that uh, ripples out across the Jewish world. Um, and, uh, and at the same time, we've seen Israel, the relationship between Israel and the diaspora change dramatically over the last 20, 30 years. Um, to the point where many of the old lines about Israel, the, the diaspora approach to Israel, which is that Israel is in danger, Israel needs to be saved, we have to, to mobilize to help Israel. Um, many of these don't really ring true anymore because Israel has become a strong, powerful, relatively wealthy country with a per capita GDP higher than that of France and Japan. Um, and, uh, and in its really shown itself to be to be a core of strength in Jewish identity. So there's a desperate need for a recalibration of the diaspora's understanding of Israel. Um, when I came to Washington, I lived in Washington from 2013 to 2016. Um, and I worked for an organization called the Israel Project. And, and that that's really a sort of straight out fighting for Israel kind of organization. And I was ab absolutely stunned by how little pro-Israel Americans really understand about Israel at all. They don't know Hebrew, by and large. They don't, uh, they don't really 
know that much what Israelis go through or what it's like to be Israeli. Um, and I realized that there's a tremendous need for education about Israeli culture, about Hebrew language, about, you know, some very fascinating, powerful, engaging thing that's happening in this country over here where I am in Jerusalem. Um, it's a dynamic, creative force for the world. And um, but in order to have people change their understanding, you need to be able to articulate a new understanding. And that requires writing. That requires books. It's not enough for people just to say, you know, to say it. And, and I think that that this is a moment in Jewish history, unlike anything that we've seen. I mean, it's really a fulfillment of the Zionist dream, which was that Israel become kind of a center of world Jewry um, and not simply a target of 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 you know, adrenaline filled, we have to go and help them. I think that, that the diaspora is more in need of help right now than Israel is. <laughs> How about that? Now, now, now talking about the diaspora, and uh, unfortunately, you know, as an, as an American Israeli talking about political issues, you're not going to be able to get away from a, a question like this. Uh, you know, you, you, you saw the, the, the storming of, of the capital last week you you yourself are a, someone who's interested in, in political history what, what do you think a moment like that means and what does it mean for, for the jewish community around the world well let me start with what it means for me personally um i'm i'm not just an american who made aliyah to israel my parents are israeli all right i was born as an israeli in america i, I spoke hebrew in the home growing up so i've always felt um, very powerfully Israeli in a way that most uh, Olim do not. Um, so as an Israeli, um, I, 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 I look at the last few years as, on the one hand, we had uh, an American president who really did help Israel to a tremendous degree. And he, he, he his unique approach and his intuitive understanding of how the Middle East worked and how power works in the Middle East um, brought really important achievements for Israel and advantages to Israel. And I feel a tremendous sense of gratitude for that. On the other hand, as an American, uh, it, it tears me up to see how he, uh, failed to overcome the, 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 the forces that he himself had unleashed and how he failed to overcome himself and how he, he really destroyed his own movement with his own bare hands. Um, as an American, I do think that that what he did was a threat to American democracy. And in his, as an Israeli who sees America as a beacon of democracy, I think that in the long run, it hurts. It hurts the cause of democracy globally to have uh, to have an American president do what he did uh, and to see those events take place. So it is complicated because, you know, there are going to be people on the left who are going to come and say, well, anybody who ever said anything good about Trump um, uh, uh, was an enabler of his fascist fantasies and, and of, of his coup. Um, this is nonsense. And, and unfortunately, what you're seeing in the American conversation is very similar to what we Israelis saw in the wake of the Rabin assassination. And obviously the Rabin assassination was something much more horrifying and much worse than even the storming of the Capitol. But, but this idea that, that the moment you unleash, the moment something really terrible happens on one side, it gives the other side license to to essentially destroy and, and rampage any legitimacy of any opinions other than their own. That's also a very dangerous dynamic. And I'm not using this in any way to excuse 
what Trump did or, uh, um, but, but it, it, let's put it this way. America is going to have to go through a process where it needs to figure out what, what the end game is. What does it look like when there is a stable conversation where people can disagree publicly uh, with each other without being canceled or deplatformed, where, um, where disagreement does not implicitly lead to violence. Um, and they have to figure out what that end picture looks like and try to figure out how to work towards that. Um, in Israel, the, the left ended up paying a very heavy political price for that extreme response. Um, and over, over and, and as we're about to see in, in the next election, it's very possible that the Labour Party, which founded the country, won't even cross the threshold in order to make it into the Knesset for the first time ever. Um, so, uh, people on the right in America need to understand that they, that, that their, that President Trump crossed the line and that movement did in fact lead to something really horrible. People on the left in America need to understand that you can't cancel half your country or, or, you know, or a third of your country or whatever. And, and that, that those political forces continue to, to live even if you can't hear them. Um, and very often that's the most powerful way to, to energize them. So I think that there needs to be a cooling down, um, on, uh, in America, just as there had to be a cooling down in Israel after the assassination of, of the prime minister. You, a lot of your books are, are in English, uh, as you say, writing for many conversations in America and the diaspora. But I mean, is there is there an interest in in translating them into Hebrew to to enrich the Israeli conversation? Uh, surely those ideas are relevant there as well. I have lost you, David. Can you hear me, David? Hi. Hello. Hi, David. Can you hear us? I can hear you now. I'm sorry, I lost oh. you for a second. Can you, re- can you repeat no, the question? Yeah, I was just asking about, uh, you know, obviously your, your your books have a focus on America, but do you think that there's room for, for similar kinds of discussions in Israel? Look, Israel is a, is a um, it's a fascinating country with what's going on right now. Um, what most people do not understand is that the reason why Israel can have such a sharp vicious discourse on the subject of Netanyahu, on the subject of um, of the ultra-Orthodox, on, on social issues. The biggest reason why we can have that conversation is because we've largely resolved the deeper questions or the harder questions of security and economics that really occupied most Israelis, most Israeli voters for decades. Um, Oslo is a failure. That's a, now a consensus view. Uh, socialism and statism economically was a failure. That's now a consensus view. So as divided as Israel seems, um, it, it, it's actually much less divided than it seems because it's able to get now to the issues that it has never been able to address because of other more pressing issues that were that were dominating the conversation. If you look at policy, you're not going to see huge differences between Yesh Atid and Naftali Bennett's party and Avigdor Lieberman's party and, and all of these different uh, non-Orthodox, non-ultra-Orthodox parties of the center-left, center-center, center-right, right. Um, they're going to have very similar policies on economics and they're going to have very similar policies on security. Um, and that's a very big achievement for a country. We're actually much more unified than we let on. 
Absolutely fascinating stuff. David, you, you said that there's a bunch of books coming out or have come out coming out this year. Um, what should we expect and where can people find a list uh, so they can maybe purchase them? So uh, we recently published a, a collection of short stories by Michael Oren, who's the, the famous historian and former Israeli ambassador to the U.S., um, called The Night Archer and Other Stories. But uh, the most interesting, uh, we have we have a book by Ruth Weiss called Free as a Jew coming out. Uh, Shmuley Boter is going to be publishing a book called Holocaust Holiday, One Family's Descent into Genocide Memory Hell, in which uh, Shmuley Boter takes his kids for a uh, for a long trip th- to the actual uh, uh, sites of the Holocaust, the concentration camps, um, and describes that experience. Uh, as I mentioned before, Yossi Shane's The Israeli Century, an extremely important sort of magisterial work covering uh, thousands of years of Jewish history um, in, a, in a reading it through a new prism of what, what how to reread Jewish history in light of the, the not just the founding, but the successful uh, establishment of the state of Israel. Um, uh, uh, Georgette Bennett, who uh, called in a, a book called Thou Shalt Not Stand Idly By about uh, her activism in helping uh, Syrian refugees. Um, and Ken Mazig, as I mentioned before, uh, his book, A Jew of Color, a really powerful, important memoir about, uh, about, uh, the, 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 the importance of understanding the Mizrahi experience, the experience of Jews who left Arab lands and Muslim lands, um, and came to Israel. And because without understanding the Mizrahi experience, and I'm speaking as a descendant of European Jews myself, um, so this isn't me personally, my experience, but most people don't understand Israel because they don't understand the experience of more than half of the Jews in this country who came from Morocco, who came from Tunisia, who came from Iraq, who came from Iran and Syria. And their experience and their core Jewish identity that's developed over centuries is very different from that of most Ashkenazi Jews. The entire understanding of how Israel responds to things, what its culture is made of, what foods it eats, okay, the nonsense about how Israel appropriates Palestinian food, which is entirely insane. It's not appropriating Palestinian food. It's it's presenting the foods of the Jews of the majority of the country. Um, so that's something that that is, I think, one of the most important books that we're doing, and that uh, it's called A Jew of Color. Um, and, uh, and it's going to be a, it's going to be a great year for Jewish books. And I, I recommend it. Where can people buy them? On Amazon or in bookstores or, uh, or, uh, if you come to the posthillpress.com website, uh, those books will be available, I believe, th- uh, there as well. But, but really through normal channels of buying books. Uh, I don't want to specifically focus on one company, but what, what can I do? Amazon's a giant in the field now. Um, <laughs> absolutely. David, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. It's been absolutely fascinating uh, and good luck uh, with your work. Thank you so much, Benji. I really appreciate it. And thank you for having me on your show. Yeah, thanks. Much. David Hazoni there. He is from uh, Wicked Sun Press talking to us about uh, what goes on in the world of Jewish book publishing. Hi, FM, your station of choice since 2008.